0: You may be seated. Wonderful, wonderful words to the lyrics of the songs we're singing this morning. Praise God for those. Uh, I want to do a, a few, something a little different as we open this morning. Uh, my goal today, uh, I just tell you up front what it is so we all, I don't want to sneak up on you. I just want to be forthright with you. Uh, my goal today is to change the way you view God and to change the way you view creation, this world you live in. That's my goal today. At least to get you on that path to seeing things differently. There some uh, fascinating scriptures in your Bible, fascinating texts that talk about generosity and living an abundant life and living a life that's truly a life worth living. I mean, John 15 would be one of those, you know, where he talks about binding branches and abiding. Jesus often talked about, "I came to give you life and life more abundantly." But this morning, I want to read from First Timothy chapter six, which is one of those passages. And if you're comfortable hearing your own voice, I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me. I'll go real slow and I'll pause the commas. If you're not comfortable, just, that's okay too. But if you are comfortable hearing your voice out loud, I want you to say these words out loud with me as I read First Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 17, 18, and 19. You just feel free to join with me. Here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, "...nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment." Pause. God provides us richly with... For what purpose? Everything in creation has been given to you for your enjoyment. You talk about Christian liberty... You talk about freedom. God just opened everything up for you right there and said everything is for your enjoyment. All right, let's read verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Wouldn't that be something maybe you'd like to sit down with your children in formative years? And, and read to your children and say, "You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to be good and rich in good works, and He wants us to share our toys with our brothers and sisters, he wants us to share our candy with our brother, with our mom and dad. I mean you know, I mean you, this, this just sounds like something you'd want to sit with your kids and, and say to them, Verse 19, here we go. in this way." They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly... There is a life that's truly life. And you can live a life that's not worth living. You can live a whole life and get to the end of your... I've just preached many funerals. And I'm so sorry to stand before you and say this, where people have lived a whole life and there's just nothing to say at the end, except they're gone. And what did they do and what did they leave? I just don't even know what to say. But there is a life that is really life. There is a life that's truly life, a life worth living, a life that is just off the charts. That's the life that God wants you to live. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this true life, a life that is truly life. And the one thing you've immediately seen already is whatever that life is that's worth living, it's a life connected to sharing. It's a life connected to doing good. This is the text. It's a life connected to generosity and I'd love just to take off and teach you about generosity and we will over the next few weeks but I need to go slow this morning because until we can see things the way that Jesus sees them we are not going to be transformed into a generous people so I want to talk about worldview because until we grow in our worldview we're not going to grow to be like Christ in generosity Now, worldview means how you see things. Let me see if I can give you an example. This week, uh, Susan and I went for our annual eye exams. You've all been there. I have a great doctor. It always goes like this. Sit real still. Puff of air in your eye. You know it's coming, right? Look at the and you jump out of the chair anyway. Yeah? Okay, other eye, puff of air. All right, good, good. Everything's as it should be. And then you get in the other chair, and they put the things down, and, and now it's 30 minutes that sounds just like this. Which is better, one or two? Three or four? And it's always when you get to five, six, seven, and eight that you can't tell any difference at all. Which is better, five or six? I can't tell a lick of difference. And you're just like, you feel this pressure to pick one. You know what I'm saying? So finally you just say, okay, six. You know, and you don't even know if it was really better or not, but you just caved to the peer pressure of the doctor waiting in that awkward silence. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, If I'm not wearing my glasses, which I'm not, obviously, and you guys know I wear glasses. If I'm not wearing my glasses, then you know I have a contact lens in my left eye. Only in my left eye. Yeah, it's really freaky. So the doctor wants me to wear my contact all the time. And y'all know I hardly ever wear them, but they want me to wear it all the time. And he keeps telling me, Bobby, if you'll just put that contact in your left eye and be consistent with that lens, then you can transform your brain to see distance through your right eye and to see this reading text through your left eye eye. The dominant right eye will see distance and this corrected left eye will be able to read the words on the page and, and up close. Now, what it's like is being a chameleon. Where one eyeball goes here and one eye... And it is not easy to train your brain to do this, which is why I'm lazy and I wear my glasses all the time. So he scolded me this week. So you'll see me in my contacts for a while until I get lazy again. But he scolded me and he said, if you just stay with it, And eventually your brain will be transformed and it will learn to push dominance through the left eye when reading and you will see everything correctly. You know, Jesus talked a lot about this. One of the prominent passages is Matthew 13. He said, I want you to be transformed until you have a Christian worldview. But here's what it sounded like when he said it. This is why I speak to you in parables because those seeing you do not see. Though hearing, you do not hear. And then he talked for a little bit more and then Jesus congratulated the people who were staying with it and being transformed because he said about those people, Matthew 13, 16, but blessed are your eyes. Why? Because now you've been transformed and you can really see what I'm talking about. Blessed are your ears because something's happened. You're being transformed as a people and now you can hear spiritual truth and know it when you hear it. Now use Jesus' example and my example because we want Christ to transform our hearts and minds until you and I can see things as Christ sees things. This is what we mean by Christian worldview. She said, You have a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview. It means you see it like God sees it. You see it like Jesus sees it. Now, right about here in the message is where I expect the pushback to start because I can hopefully anticipate some of your tension this morning. And you're thinking, Well, Pastor, I know who's sitting around me this morning, and we are all believers here this morning. Of course, we have Christian worldviews. We're all believers here. Surely we have Christian worldviews. So I've got to be really careful with my language. Listen very carefully. I do agree that I am speaking to people who by faith have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. I believe that most of you are born again children of Almighty God, but I do not take for granted that you have a fully developed Christian worldview. In fact, most of us don't salvation is one thing worldview is a different thing and salvation and world thing are separate issues that Jesus spoke to frequently in the gospels because the bottom line is this you can be saved and still not see things the way Jesus sees things Stay with me now for a moment. It's going to get worse before it gets better, okay? Stay with me for a moment. For instance, I know many people who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior by faith, and yet they are still pro-abortion. They believe in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins, They have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and called upon Him for salvation, but they're okay with a procedure that would dismember a baby within its mother's womb and kill it. Now, again, you may want to protest and say, Pastor, that person isn't saved. But I want to caution you. Be very, very careful right here. Because you are not God. I have read what God said. And what God said was this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall... That's what it says. And so when you get to this moment... We should be very careful about challenging someone else's sincerity in salvation. Amen? I hope that can be some common ground for us this morning. So, let me go a little bit further. I can see I'm not winning any friends. Can can a person be saved and not have a transformed worldview? Well, you're likely such a person. You can be saved and not see everything as Christ sees it. Let's see if I can find your sin. Jesus sees... Well, You don't like abortion. Let me see with this one. Jesus sees your body as God's temple. Is that how you see it? Is your lifestyle indicative? Does your lifestyle bear out that you see your body as the temple of God? Let me just be real blunt. Can a saved person habitually abuse their body with sugar, carbs, and junk food and lack of exercise. Can you be born again? Wow. So y'all are very adamant about that, but not so much about abortion, aren't you? I think we found what your sin is. Child of God, do you own your possessions? If you do, then you can give them away. If you can't give them away, then they possess you. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. Let me confess my sins. I'm okay with it. Brothers and sisters, how's your anxiety? I'll go first. Mine's been off the charts this week. I was having discipleship time, about 40 minutes, 30-40 minutes with a doctor here in our community and I meet with him once a week, and we were having a little bit of a discipleship time, and he started confessing his sins. We were talking about this, and he said, Pastor, this week I found myself glued to my television on Tuesday night. I was so worked up. He said, I'm not a big drinker. Here's his exact words. I found myself knocking back bourbon on election night like you've never seen. You say, well, he's not a good Christian. He's one of the best Christians I know. Sincere, wonderful man. He said, I was so, and he said, I know this isn't right for me to be like this. But he said, I'm just confessing this is the way it was, and this is the way it is. And we had a, about a half an hour together, and hopefully by the half hour mark, he began to calm down, and I began to calm down. And you see, Paul had a Christian worldview, and here's what Paul said about this issue. Watch these words from Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about... <sighs> Paul stinking Paul. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, don't be anxious about anything. Well, let me ask you, can you be a Christian and still have anxiety? Half of you are on Prozac, so I hope you'll say yes. The other half are probably knocking back the bourbon. So it's okay to be honest in the house of God. Your most, I would say in America right now, probably the most violated verse in the Bible has been this one last week. Anxiety is running high, okay? We can all all agree to that. And the reason is, is because most of us, although born again, do not have a fully developed Christian worldview. We are believers, but we are believers in the process, in the discipleship process. And discipleship is a process. It's a slowly developing process of being transformed until I, Bobby Harrell, can see things as Jesus Christ sees them. And when I can see like he sees, then I start becoming like he is, and then I start being as he is. This is all of our journey of spiritual growth. It is a process. And you may say this morning, Pastor, I just don't see it that way. You just made my point. You just made my point. And people often come to me and say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about something that was said a few weeks ago. I just don't see it the way I see it. Well, praise God. So what you've already confessed is that Christians can have different degrees of worldview. And the big point this morning is that all of us need to find the right lenses of Christ. And we need to leave them on long enough that the Holy Spirit can begin to transcend form who we actually are in the inner man and woman until we can begin to see like christ sees and when we see like jesus sees we'll be transformed to be the most generous people the world has ever known so let me ask you this morning how do you view god how do you view god with what lenses are you seeing god at this point of development in your christian well how do you see god I want to give you some broad strokes that we, some common ground for all of us this morning. We would all agree that we need to have a biblical worldview of God. I mean, this almost, I'm embarrassed to say this out loud, but I think I have to. We all need to have a biblical view of God. In other words, it is the Bible that tells us who God is and what he's like. And we go a little bit further. We desire to know God for who he truly is. Because any self-imagination of God is a false God. In other words, if you say, well, I just think God would allow this, this, and this, and this, this, and this, and let us do whatever we want to do and never punish anybody. and, and, and Wait a second. You've just invented the God. That's not really the God that the Bible describes. And you have to be very careful that you're not making an idol about making your own false version of a God. We want to biblically know who God is. Well, the Bible describes God. And here's what it describes in broad strokes, very quickly, that God is our creator. I think Genesis, well, probably the most important book in your Bible. I mean, for, uh, but then that's hard to say because so is John in Rome. But, but if you don't get the creator right, then nothing else, if you don't get Adam and Eve and what God's doing, and cre- if you don't get this figured out, nothing else is going to work out in your Bible reading. Moses wrote the book of Genesis because Israel did not know her story. So he said, let me tell you your story. Knowing your story is empowering. Let me go back and tell you how we got to right here as being liberated from Egypt. And so he goes back to tell Israel the story. And in doing so, he also tells our backstory, because the Bible opens with these words. In the beginning, God, what did he do? God as a creator. This is who the Bible's introducing to us, that God is the creator. And Moses then develops that and shows us that God was at work. He was creating and cultivating and celebrating. I want these words to kind of get down into your soul. He was creating, and then he was cultivating, and then they were celebrating. And that's how the story opens in the book of Genesis. And and Moses says, "Listen. Look at God's creation. Look at this garden now. Look at the man and the woman and their uh, vassal relationship to the suzerain God King. Look, they are kings and priests, reflecting God as His image bears. Now, let's all celebrate the goodness of God and let's enjoy." The creation And God keeps saying over and over in Genesis, it is good, it is good, it is good. I just read to you from the opposite end of the Bible in First Timothy where Paul said to Timothy, it's a life worth living. It's good. Let's celebrate it. So this is what's happening in the book of Genesis. And when God created and when he cultivated and when he put the people, uh, the humans in the creation... Everything that the creation needed was supplied by God. If you ever watch the order of creation, he didn't create whales first and then say, oh, wow, they're flopping around here. We need some water. He didn't create, you know, a cow and then say, wow, he's starving. I better make some grass and some air for him to breathe and some water. No, he built everything in a sequential order So that every step of creation along the way would have what it needed, whose seed is in itself that could reproduce after its own kind. When the humans came on the scene, they were living the human dream, man. They arrived at the party (laughs) fully mature. God did not have to potty train Adam. I mean, have you really thought through all of this? Okay, Adam, take your first step to Papa When Adam and Eve arrived at this party, they arrived fully mature. He stood up and said, you must be God. Good to meet you. Thank you for making me. This is a beautiful world. Let's name us some animals. High five. Let's go. They came to the party fully mature, fully developed intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. They were living what we have always since wanted to get back to, the human dream, the utopia that God had created in the beginning. They were immersed in lavish abundance. All of creation was in perfect harmony. Now, above all things, I want you to see that these Bible writers, as they approach an understanding of God, they approach Him as Creator. Especially the Psalms. Man, if you read the Psalms, you will come away understanding that God is the Creator and owns everything. Let me just read to you. Psalm 24. Listen to David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the water. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You and I and everything in this world and this world belongs to God. Why? He created it. Listen to Psalm 89, 1. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Psalms 100, verse 1. Shout For joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Now, as we go through this series, it's very important that you view God as creator and therefore owner of the earth, And all that live in this earth. Because you can only give something if you own it. Can you imagine me coming over to your house and start giving your stuff away? I just start having a garage sale. Just pull your stuff out. Just start giving it to the community. You'd shut me down in a heartbeat. You'd say, hey, you have no right to give my stuff away. It's not yours, pastor. No, I can only give my stuff away. And here's the beautiful thing. God is the creator. He is therefore the owner. God's generosity flows out of his ownership. As the owner of this earth, God has an incredible track record of giving lavishly and generously to the humans that inhabit his creation. And when we start viewing God as a generous host who has invited us to his party and everything here has been supplied, it's going to liberate us and, and, and we'll be able to live out our destiny, our destiny now, as his images, our destiny of creation and cultivation and celebration. Because that has always been our destiny as image bearers of the living God. God. How do you view God? Well, the Bible writers view God as a generous host. And really, we need to reshape our thinking that all of creation is a celebration of God's abundance. God has created a beautiful world. He has filled this beautiful world with potential. And what we experience in creation—just just think of what you see in creation: animals and birds and trees and mountains and rivers and some of your beach people, beaches and oceans. Some of you, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. To some of you, the mountains and the rivers and the trout—that's the most beautiful thing in the world. For some of you, it's green fields covered with black cows, you know, with a white fence around it. To you, that's the most beautiful thing in the world, what you experience in creation, life, light, color, abundance, flowers, nature, all of these display the glory of God, but nothing more than human beings. Human beings are the ultimate expression of the living God. We are living images. We were created, men and women, to be living images ...of the Creator God. And He put us here to fulfill our role as kings and priests... uh, ...Vice Regents, uh, Prime Minister, rulers... ...under His rulership of this creation. And when He created us, we were given the attributes of our Creator. Let me give you three of those attributes. The ability to create... ...the ability to cultivate... ...and the ability to celebrate... (laughs) Because that's who our creator is. He's given those abilities to you. You can create. And you can cultivate and develop and build and make and organize and take things to its full potential. And we should do a whole lot of celebrating because God made us to be celebrators. He made worship to be a celebration. Matter of fact, he made life to be a celebration of who God is. creation. God's creation is a blessing to us. That's really what it is. Creation is a gift through which we get to enjoy the Creator. If you're a beach person, when you run your toes through that sand, you praise God in that moment. He made your toes and he made that sand. If the trout stream and the mountains are your thing, listen, when you snap into your skis, like a lot of us will do later this year, God willing, right? You snap into those skis and point them down the slope, and it's just, ksh, 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 and the snow's falling, and the trees are waving. Listen, to me, that's one of the most beautiful scenes in all of creation. Okay, when you snap into your skis, then you praise God as you're skiing. Say, God, I can't believe you made all of this for my pleasure, for me to enjoy richly all things. God, I get to experience you. And you're bled through the creation that you have built. How cool is that? Now, what I'm describing to you is how Jesus sees the world. By my reading of the Bible, this is how Jesus sees it. Jesus was so optimistic. I've told you that pessimism is not compatible with Christianity. And a lot of you are pessimists. Are those people even saved, Damon? I hope I there you go. So you can be saved and be a pessimist, but God's working on us to transform our worldview away from that pessimism and cynicism that may come so naturally, to be more optimistic like Jesus Christ. Jesus saw a world filled with opportunity. Jesus saw a world filled with beautiful people, diverse people. People of all kinds and colors and Jesus encountered all kinds of people and loved them all. Just saw people as a wonderful thing to be engaged in relationships. Jesus saw a wonderful world filled with abundance. Let me read you some of the words of Jesus this morning. This is Luke chapter 12, very famous passage. Let me read to you verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Anybody on conviction yet? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. There's more to this life than fashion and feasting. 24 Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? This is how Jesus saw the world. Is God taking care of his creation? Yes. Are you not much more to God than just the crows? Yes, of course you are. L- listen to Jesus. Consider, now he already went to birds. Now he switches illustrations. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows that you need them, but seek him. His kingdom, and these things. What things did he just talk about? Food, clothes, the security that we want. All of these things will be given to you as well. You say, Pastor, I just don't see it that way. I know that's the problem. We don't see like Jesus sees, but we need to. And we need to be transformed until we do because Jesus seems to believe that the birds and the flowers are signs of God's abundance. And Jesus seems to think that the birds and the flowers are all going to be taken care of. And Jesus seems to think that you're more valuable than the birds and the flowers. And there's absolute certainty that God's going to take care of you. Jesus seems to think that nature is not getting all stressed out and yet there is enough. There just is enough. Nothing is doing with that. It's going to be okay. And because Jesus sees the world this way, listen to how he teaches his disciples. Let me just keep reading. Verse 32. Do not be afraid. I think a lot of you came into this service with a lot of anxiety and fears about the future and, and all of this kind of stuff. What does it all mean? None of us know what it means. Because none of us have crystal balls to know the future about anything. And God's not going to tell you what it all means. He's not going to give you a crystal ball because then he wouldn't, you would have no faith. You wouldn't be living by faith. You wouldn't be trusting God. So instead, here's what God tells us. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, if I do that, then what will I have? You're missing his point. He's going to take care of you. So you can sell your possessions and give them away. It doesn't matter. God will still take care of you. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Now, here's how Jesus sees this whole thing. Jesus saw God as a generous host. Who has invited you to a celebration where everything is provided. Do you remember those parables about let's build a wedding feast and invite everybody to come to the feast? And why do you try to come in without a garment? I want you to understand, those who threw the feast gave the garments away for free. They provided clothes for everyone to come in. God's invited you to a party where everything is provided. I mean, the clothes, the food, the everything is provided. And there is abundance, and there is no lack, and it's a celebration. Jesus describes the universe as this beautiful creation packed with opportunity and resources and potential. And your challenge is to adopt His worldview. That you are here on planet Earth, and you have been called to a celebration by a Creator God who is generous and has supplied everything you're going to need for life Everything in abundance, and he wants your mindset to be transformed to see it that way and when it's when you begin to see it that way, you're being transformed to live out a life beyond anything you 've ever experienced. You see, Jesus believes that the world's scarcity problem isn't due to a lack of resources. Jesus seems to believe that the world's scarcity problem is due to a mindset that says God can't be trusted. That's the way Jesus is reading the world. Remember Proverbs 3, 5? It's probably one of the first discipleship verses many of you memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. This is kind of our fundamental problem right here. We don't see it that way because we're not sure God's really going to take care of us. We're not really too strong on that trust thing so it really hurts us seeing things as jesus see jesus totally trusts god well he is god but god in a man's body and as a man he said you can totally trust god i mean you hear it right from the horse's mouth essentially you can trust god completely and if you do it'll transform you to be the most generous giving person the world has ever known so let me ask you how do you see it do you see scarcity or abundance Let me just in a minute kind of recap the story. Do you see scarcity when you look at the world? Everything's doom and gloom and there's not going to be enough and what we've got is going to be taken. Or do you see a world filled with abundance and a loving God completely in control? Now that was the original design. Of course in Genesis 3 the story took a dramatic turn. I get that. The serpent's temptation convinced the humans that God could not be trusted. I mean this is really the temptation. Did God really say this Seriously, that's what he told you? Oh my goodness, he just doesn't want you to be like him. Gosh, he hasn't given you everything to enjoy. He's actually holding out on you, and he's holding back from you. He doesn't want you to be developed. He doesn't want you to be transformed to be like him. And Satan convinced them that God was holding out on them. Satan's temptation convinced them that God wasn't really a generous host. That God was a miserly ruler who was holding them back from being all they could be. But if you'll just take this and eat it, then he won't won't be able to hold you back any longer. See, what happened is our parents rejected God's generosity when they took the forbidden tree. And the innocence and the goodness and the blessing that once characterized their existence was now... Shattered, And in its place came shame and suspicion and guilt and sin and death and murder and hoarding until you turn the page twice in your Bible and God throws up His hands and says, What in the world has happened to creation? Only evil continually. And ironically, instead of getting the security the humans thought they were going to get to be like God... Instead, they got shame. Instead of receiving more, instead of receiving abundance in their rebellion and blessing, they received curse. And that curse of sin spread upon all. All of creation is in some way tainted now by what they did. And now, through Adam and Eve, our parents, all of humanity has joined in their rebellion. I mean, you can be the judge. Instead of humanity using their creativity... To cultivate a beautiful world to its full potential, humans are trying their best to hoard their time, their talents, and their resources. Everyone's in their own little private world and in their own little private battle trying to hoard up and build a little kingdom, their own little personal Eden at your address where we're safe and we're secure and we have so much abundance that nothing could possibly ever go wrong and we could never see ourselves without. The great poet Tennyson said, Humanity operates from a deep level belief that the world is red in tooth and in claw. Tennyson is saying to us, the world now has adopted a dog-eat-dog mentality, survival of the fittest, get whatever you can no matter who you have to hurt and step on and no matter what you've got to do to get it, break down the windows and steal the refrigerators and the washing machines. You you watched what's happening. And you just sit back and you say, what is going on? Something's desperately broken in this world. History is a long story of people operating from a scarcity mindset. This belief that there's just not going to be enough And what a person has could be lost at any moment. The scarcity mindset sees the future as threatening, as ominous. Living out of a scarcity mindset causes people to hoard time, talents, treasure, resources, and to try to shield ourselves against this imagined, imagined impending threat of loss that's coming down the road somewhere. This doesn't produce true life. This only produces in us anxiety, dissatisfaction with what we already have, insecurity, and most significantly what this produces in us all is fear. When you don't see it the way Jesus sees it, the bottom line is you turn into a fearful person. Let's flip the coin over. The other way of viewing the world is from an abundance mindset. This is the perception that there is enough. That that what a person has is a blessing to be shared with others. This abundance mindset is thinking that the future is filled with potential. Living out of an abundance mindset causes people to view life as a gift from God. And these Christ-like people who see it the way Jesus sees it, these are people who inevitably give their time. They give their talent. They give their resources lavishly because their lives are not focused on vain pursuits to achieve a false sense of security. These people that I'm describing, they manage their finances better. These people impact the world in significant, meaningful ways. These people, in my opinion, have better relationships. These people are nutritionally healthier. These people are less likely to be depressed. These people are content and satisfied with the lives that God has given them. When I start talking like this, you and I begin to think, yeah, but we do see needs and we do see scarcity in this world. And and that's real. But it's not the dominant worldview of Jesus. And you may be thinking, well, I'm poor. And Jesus has no right to talk to me like this. Can I just really be honest with you? You're not poorer than Jesus. Listen, whoever's the poorest person in this room... And I mean really economically now. Seriously, you think you're poorer than Jesus? Who had one set of clothes and one pair of sandals? And after he left his parents' home, he said about himself, foxes have holes and birds have nests and the Son of Man has not a place to lay his head. I don't even have my own house. Well, yeah, But you rent. No, I don't. Yeah, but no, I don't. I'm just here. And you're like, gosh, I could never live that way. But you know what? Jesus said, it's enough. I'm good. I've got everything I need. Do you think you're happier than Jesus? (laughs) This is the way he lived. Now, I'm not saying you need to go, you know, move into the local park down here and we'll pass out tents. I'm not going for that. Because you balance this with what Solomon said. Whatever you have is your portion under the sun. Listen, my point is God has given to all of you and you're not poorer than Jesus. You're actually much richer materially than Jesus. Enjoy it, but don't be fearful about life. Jesus was no stranger to scarcity. He met it all the time in his journeys, and yet he lived out an abundance mindset. Uh, That wasn't a denial of scarcity. I mean, people had health needs. He helped them. People were starving. He helped them. The Bible's filled with this. Scarcity is very real for many. The big point is this. Jesus believes that the world's scarcity problem is not due to lack of resources. I'm going to go slow here. Jesus believes that the world's scarcity problem, and maybe you're my scarcity problem, is not due to a lack of resources, but it is due to a mindset which says God cannot be trusted to take care of us. And you know who's right? Jesus. Not me. Jesus. You see, trust is the natural response of a heart that has been given much. And God deserves our trust. He has given us much. He has never failed you. He has never forsaken you. He has blessed you. You are the richest people on planet earth. My question is, are you truly living? Or are you the richest people on planet earth and you're nervous wrecks? filled with anxiety and stress that there's never going to be enough and we're not going to make it and it's all going to collapse and it's going to be doom and gloom and it's all going to implode. Where is your faith in God? Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Has He not cared for you for 53 years? He has. And met every need I've ever had. Can he not then be trusted with tomorrow? You bet he can. You see, even little things we overlook as God's children sometimes. The regular regularities of life. Like the sun coming up in the morning. I watched it come up this morning. With a cup of coffee in my hand. And I thought, you know what? It's going to come up tomorrow too. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And out where we live, there's not many buildings yet, and we see glorious sunsets every night. You know what? That's God's gift to us. And the regularities of life, like the sunrise and the sunset and safe oxygen levels to breathe, and gravity that just seems to be perfectly in balance, and and, and, and a creation that operates reliably. I watched the south wind blow the clouds across the field this morning, and I'm like, Just like every other day, God completely has this thing in control. We take all of these things for granted and we forget that creation, life, it's all a gift from God. God deserves our trust because he's displayed his love to us continually from his own generosity. The biblical story is a lavish story of God's generosity from start to finish The Creator is consistently and constantly giving gifts to His creation. And there's no greater gift than the one He gave us in the person of Jesus Christ. Just when you thought He couldn't give you more than He's ever given you, He sent His own Son. And He came in a human flesh to supply our great need, to conquer sin and to give us salvation So when you call upon him for salvation, you put your trust in God. Listen, trusting God as a generous host is contained in your declaration that he's Lord of your life. When you accept him as Lord and Savior, Savior means save me. Lord means you're in control, and I acknowledge that. In your declaration that he is your Lord and Savior is contained the idea that God is a generous host who will provide everything that we need as the Lord of your life. You've acknowledged that he has the right of ownership as the creator God, and therefore he can set the policies governing your life, and his policies will help you begin to see things as he sees them. In other words, you keep walking with God and keep those corrective lenses before your eyes, and eventually you begin to adopt that mindset of abundance because you're being transformed. Let me close it this way. God is challenging everyone in this room to view the world differently. I realize that you're just going to say, I'm going to do it. It's not like that. It's a process. It's going to take some time. But that process ought to begin today. Where we say to our creator in a moment of decision, God, I don't always see things the way you do. You know what? I've been quite happy to have it that way. I've been okay with that, and that's just not okay. I want to see it the way you see it. We start by trusting God. It takes faith to view the world like Jesus views the world. It takes faith to see your role as one of blessing others out of your abundance rather than being a hoarder and a taker. Your whole destiny is to become so filled with love and trust for God that it overflows from you to everyone around you. You see, the Bible talks all about being filled with the Spirit of God. You're to be filled with the Spirit of God, not just until you get full. But Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You're not to just be filled with the spirit of God's presence in your life so you can say, see, I've got it all, and screw a big old cap on it and hold it all in. God wants you to uncork that thing and let the Holy Spirit flow out of you. Let blessing and abundance flow out of you. Be filled, not to be filled. Be filled to be overflowing. We may have forgotten that. Be filled not so you can say, I'm happy and satisfied, I've got all I need. No, be filled so that you can help everyone be blessed by what God's doing in your life. Your destiny is to become a person of creativity and cultivation and celebration just like your creator. He put you here to be creative, to develop highways and bridges and roads and telephones and internets and gardens And lakes, God put you here to be conservationists. God put you here to be engineers. God put you here to be farmers and gardeners. God put you here to be creative and to cultivate and then to sit back and celebrate everything that God has given you. Your destiny is to live a generous life because that is truly life. Anything less than generosity is not the life God's called you to live. I hope you're challenged. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's turn that now into a decision, okay? Somewhere in these moments this morning, the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. And it's not for me to say which part of the message is for you. But somewhere in these moments, the Holy Spirit has said something to you personally, very personally. You don't need to share that with anybody. That's personal. I get it. But you do need to take it and make it a decision now. God has said something to you. Now, you need to say something to God. Very simply. What did God say to you this morning? He's spoken to you about how you're seeing things, and maybe you know you don't see things the way God sees them. Okay, that's all of us to some degree. But are we going to leave it at that, or are we going to say to God, God, I'm not content to live in this life not having a correct worldview. God, I'm not going to be satisfied until I can see as Christ sees. Give me your vision, God. Let me see it the way you see it. I want to stop saying, that's not the way I see it. And I want to start saying, God, transform me until I can see it as you see it. How about praying that this morning? God, I want to stop saying, that's not how I see it. And I want to start saying, God, transform me until I can see it as you see it. God, let me see you as a gracious host who's invited me to the party where everything is supplied in abundance. I don't need to be anxious, I don't need to be fearful, I don't need to hoard, I don't need to hurt others, I need to be filled and overflowing to bless others. Could we all this morning cry out to God and say, God would you please transform me to be a generous person like you? God, work in our hearts this morning. Lord, we yield to you. We yield control to you. We call you Lord freshly this morning. Lord, we want to just renew that. Lord, this morning I call you Lord. and These people call you Lord. And in saying that to you, God, we yield control to you. In saying that, we realize that your principles need to be applied to our lives until we're transformed to be like you. God, would you raise up from this congregation creative, cultivating, celebratory people that richly enjoy all of creation as a gift from God. Lord, we want to live a life that's truly life we know we're not going to live it until we see like you see and become transformed to generosity God would you do that in my life would you do that in the lives of every person here this morning that we would become a community of generosity people who are filled and overflowing with the love of God and the Holy Spirit and even material things so that our entire lives could be a blessing to everyone around us God, transform us. That's our prayer today. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's go to our places with joy and celebration in our heart.